This is City Post Church. We're about three things. Build, equip, and send. All under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A small church plant in Fort Worth, Texas. Who decided to do things a little differently. Adoramos a Jesucristo. I love City Post because of the people. It's where I belong. We truly preach the word. I love City Post because of the community we've been able to build. To do ministry like Jesus, for light to push back darkness. This is City Post Podcast. All right, so in sometimes in life, um, we are given pretty difficult uh, questions to answer. And growing up uh, as a child of the 90s, there was a question that was extremely difficult to answer in my days. And it was this. Was there enough room on the door for both Jack and Rose to survive? Yes Yes. Yes or no? Like this is the... This is a difficult question for us to comprehend. And I know in the 1997, the movie that Titanic, Titanic, Titanic came out, and it was this amazing love story. But this scene right here got people all riled up because they showed like an aerial of, of the situation. And when Jack tried to get on it, it's like she didn't even try. You know, like she just was like, uh, I'm like, what? He just saved your life. Like, what are you doing? So I was, I was, I was digging into this because this was a big deal, especially if you grew up in the 90s. I mean, every, everybody saw this movie. People were like skipping school to go see this movie. And there's a couple of theories and conspiracies on why um, Jack was not able to get on this door. So theory number one was that Jack actually died when the Titanic went down. Like, the, the current sucked him in, and he actually passed away. So in this scene right here, this is actually the spirit of Jack, that, that he loved Rose so much, he came down, and he, like, saved her life. Uh, a second conspiracy or theory was that Rose realized that she had the diamond in her pocket. So she's like, what do I need you for now? Right? She's like, I'm set for life. I am good. So she let him die in the water. Another one was that whenever you face a life and death situation, there's some realizations that arise. And when the boat went down, Rose realized how broke Jack actually was. And she decided, I don't know if I'm about this life or not. I don't know if I want to just jump around and like just, just live. She's like, I have a standard I'm used to. Another one was that when, when they were on the, the plank or when they were on the door, Jack told Rose that he got her two tickets on Spirit Airlines to go home. So she was like, you staying in this water. Because I don't fly Spirit. And then the last one was that Jack realized how difficult marriage would be to Rose, so he decided to stay in the water himself. And uh, that was a joke. All right, so. <laughs> Amen. He's like, this is a lot. You can't do nothing yourself. I had to save you, and now I have to find a door. Um, but, you know, what's funny was uh, there's a group called Mythbusters. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. Mythbusters was a show of these two scientists, and Mythbusters actually tackled this question. And what they decided, they, they, they took the specs of the door, 
they actually both try to put their bodies on the door wearing the same type of flotation devices. And what they decided was that both would have been able to fit on the door and they would have survived because it took 63 minutes for the lifeboat to, to come in and save them. But yet 80% of their bodies would have been out of the frigid waters. And the worst they would have had was maybe some hypothermia. They might have not been able to feel their hands for a while, but they both would have survived. So just to kind of go with the question, yes, both could have fit. And now we can move on with our lives because we know the answer to this. <laughs> now, I know this is silly, but, but what I just did here was I just speculated. I threw in my own two cents. I threw in like my thoughts, um, how I grew up. I threw in like my perspectives on, on marriage and my perspectives on what life looks like, what I thought is important in life. And really, the truth is, all of that stuff is false. I just made that up. You see, what Mythbusters did, they actually like put all the scientific information and they actually like scoped it out and they tried it and they came to a real conclusion. And when we talk about Noah and how he built the ark, and even as the flood came and destroyed the world, there's a lot of people who do not believe this story. There's a lot of people who don't think that God would actually flood the earth. There's a lot of people who don't think that one man could build something so massive by himself. So what we have to do is look into scripture in order to show that scripture is correct. Because Isaiah refers to this story. Ezekiel chapter 14 talks about it. First Chronicle talks about it. Luke records the name of Noah once. Peter records the name of Noah twice. Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Faith talks about Noah and all he did. Even Jesus in the Olivet Discourse talks and mentions about Noah. So when people talk about the story and if they talk about it not being real or fake, we have to address it through Scripture. Like Actually, it is very real. It actually did happen. And one of the hard things that people have a hard time comprehending is not about the flood, but is how in the world can one man do something so massive? How can one man build something so just, just unthinkable? Well, we're going to find out today. Because the truth is that God is going to ask us to do things in our life that seem unthinkable. He's going to put something in our hearts to do where we're going to look at it and feel overwhelmed and feel like there's no way that this is going to be able to be done. It's impossible. But what we're going to look at today is that Noah is going to show us how it can be done. And of course, it starts with 100% obedience to God Almighty. But we got to start in verse 9. I want to backtrack a little bit here because when we look at the story of Noah and how he built this ark, we have to look at verse 9. So I'm going to read verse 9 through uh, 11 here. It says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Sham, Ham, and Jephthah. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. All right, so before we get to the ark, we have to look at the life of Noah first. So there's three things that the author of Genesis, who's Moses, describes Noah as. He said he was a righteous man. 
He said that he was blameless amongst the people and that he walked faithfully with God. He was a righteous man. He was blameless. He walked faithfully with God. And then in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 5, Peter tells us that Noah wasn't just a righteous man, but he was also a preacher of righteousness. So he walked with God. That puts him in the same category as Enoch and Moses. That means that God spoke to Moses. I mean, spoke to Noah not verbally. God walked with Noah. God was with Noah. And that's Genesis 5.24. So if you think about someone whose message is about righteousness... That means that all Noah would have preached is the same thing for a whole entire century while he built this ark. His message would have sounded something like, God is righteous and holy. We are sinful. You must repent and turn to God. Period. God is righteous. We are sinful. You must repent and you must turn to God. Simple message. That was Noah's only message during this whole entire time. Because he was a righteous man. Therefore, he preached righteousness. Now, think about this. When God told him to build this ark, and I'm just kind of like, we got to look at the backdrop before we get into it. Noah lived in a world that was extremely violent and corrupt. When the Bible uses the word violence, that means that they are destroying something with ill intent. So the world was extremely violent. And we talked about that whole sinful nature last week. And because the world was violent, people were just trying to destroy things. They were destroying the earth. They were destroying each other. So imagine Noah, a righteous man, a blameless man. Like nobody could point to Noah and be like, well, at least he didn't do this. Like there was nothing people could say about Noah. And he walked with God. But imagine the message of righteousness in a world full of violence, corruption, and sin. You know, I love what like Martin, Martin Luther says. He said, God surely had to perform more than one miracle to keep Noah alive. So he's working on this this massive box in the the, the wilderness, and you have a world that hates you, hates God, hates what you're doing, wants to destroy everything that you're about, and you still have to uh, conclude that this is what God's called me to do, so I'm going to do it regardless. And what we see is that in this world, Noah was still able to live a blameless and righteous life, no matter how hard it was. And listen, I I find this so encouraging because, man, we live in a jacked up world. And you guys, especially you young guys that are in college or in school or like you are still able to live a righteous life regardless of what's around you. You're able to still live a life. You don't have to conform or bend your knee to the world. You could still stand up for righteousness. It is possible. It is doable. Noah did it. We could do it too. So a lot of us, and if you think about this, if Noah bent his knee to the world, if Noah conformed to the world, he would be on the outside of the ark. He would not be the one that God used to build this. So it is possible. We can do it. You can live righteous in your workplace. You can live righteous at school. You can do it at home with your family. You can stand up for truth and the gospel. Listen, no one's going to say, you know, I came to a conclusion in my job because I, I work a lot, you know, in this whole PC world where I'm like, man, you know, you guys are allowed to say whatever you want. How come I can't? What are you going to do, fire me? 
Who else is crazy enough to do my job? <laughs> Especially, like, I love talking to teachers. The teacher's like, I don't know. Are we going to do fire teacher in a, in a shortage? We have to trust God with our lives. And we have to trust that God it has our back, and we know that God is going to take good care of us if we live righteously. And Noah did it. Noah was able to do it, and I think that's a great encouragement and example for us. Noah was all of those things. The one thing Noah was not was sinless. Everyone is sinful in this world. Because Noah was righteous, blameless, and walked with the Lord, God saw him and was able to use him, and not just him, but God saved his family as well. But Noah could not save the whole entire world because he was still sinful. That's why Jesus is the greater Noah, because Jesus was sinless. Jesus is able to save the whole entire planet from God's wrath. And that's kind of where we're headed in this direction. All right, so we have Noah. We see what Noah is about. We know what Noah preached. We know his message. And then look at verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. So we know that deceitfulness and destruction and everything was dominated by evil at this time. Verse 12, God saw how corrupted the world had, had the earth had become, for all the people of earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all these people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. See, right now in verse 13, God is letting Noah know how it's about to go down. And I love that he talks to Noah. And he doesn't say, he says those people. He never includes Noah in that narrative. And he's letting him know. He's like, man, I'm going to destroy the earth. I'm going to destroy everybody in, in this earth. And the way that God saves Noah is by giving Noah an assignment. Now, I'm thinking, why couldn't God just, like, create some kind of bubble and just rain fire and just protect Noah and his family? Wouldn't that be so much more easy? Like, what, what if, like, God sent, like, like, an exodus, send the angel of death and, like, just wiped out the whole entire globe and everything, and it, except for Noah and his family? Wouldn't that be easier? But the way that God responds to Noah is that he's going to ask Noah to build something that no one has ever seen before, for something that no one has ever seen happen before, for something that no one has ever experienced before. And that is a storm, water, rain from the sky. So you're asking me to, you're going to ask me to build this massive box in the middle of a desert in a world that hates me and hates everything and is evil, and that's how you're going to save me and my family. Awesome. So look what God tells Noah to do. Look at verse 14. This is where it gets interesting, because I don't think we understand the magnitude of this. Verse 14, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the, leaving, sorry, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. 
Put a door on the side of the ark and make it lower, middle and upper decks. All right, so this is huge. Now, God told Noah to build an ark. Now, I know like we like to watch movies and stuff like that, and a lot of people think the ark was a big boat. Honestly, the ark was just a big, massive box. That's all it was. How do we know that? Because the word used for ark here, in the Hebrew language, the word for ark is tavah. So whenever you look at the word ark of the covenant in the Hebrew language, the word that they use for ark of the covenant is eron. See, tavah means it's an empty, hollow chest. It's like a, a massive box that's just used to float along the water. We also see the word ark or tavah in the story of Moses. When Moses was spared as a baby, his mother put him in a tavah. They put him in a basket. So the purpose of this was just to float. Listen, the purpose of the ark was not cruising. It's capacity. It didn't need to go nowhere. It wasn't a cruise ship. It wasn't the love boat. They didn't need water slides. They didn't need all this stuff. The purpose of the ark was a big floating box to save everyone from a flood, period. That was it. And then he said, you're going to make rooms in it and a coat and you're going to coat it with pitch. You see, pitch is like this tar stuff that you use to seal uh, cracks. You know, the word pitch actually means a covering. And I mean, we could go deeper into this, but God's like, man, I want you to cover this thing with pitch because the covering is going to protect the ark and it's going to cover the cracks and not let anything inside of it. So he says you're going to coat it, the whole entire thing, with pitch. Now, some translations, it says gopher wood. So really what gopher wood is, it's just cedar trees. Um, a lot of archaeologists believe that Noah built this in the area of the world that um, the location's Armenia. So in Armenia, there's a lot of cedar trees around. So what God is saying is like, man, use what's all around you because the scope of this is so big. I'm giving you a way to create it. So make sure you don't deter from this specific wood because there's plenty of it. So he's telling them what to build. Cypress wood. You're going to make rooms. Now, how big is the ark? Okay, so my mind, I think in terms of football. I played football. I love watching football. So, so the ark, when you, when you look at the square footage, the ark would have been 150 yards. So think of a football field and a half. It's, it's kind of long. And, and I think about this because I remember when I got in trouble, I would have to run hundreds. And I ran a lot of them because I always miss my assignments. 100 yards is massive. So 150 yards long, 25 yards wide. So think of an extra point for a field goal the 25-yard line to the back of the end zone. That's how wide it is. And then 15 yards tall, so 45 feet high. And then he said there's going to be three levels to this thing. There's going to be a ground level, a middle level, and a high level. So 150 yards by 45 yards by 15 yards, three levels. Seems a little hard. Right. But remember, God is telling Noah exactly what to build because it's not just for capacity, but we don't want this thing to flip over because he's going to flood the world. So it's just going to be water, just oceans of water. 
And then God tells him, after he gives him the specs of what this thing is going to look like, in verse 17, God says, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on the earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, and you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are going to bring into the ark. Well, let's stop there. Let's talk about 17 and 18. So he's talking about floodwaters. Now think about it. To this point, nobody's ever seen this type. They haven't seen a storm. They haven't seen floodwaters yet. They haven't seen any of this stuff. So I want you to think about Noah. He's building this thing. There's a world around him that, that is corrupted and violent. Can you imagine? Like, hey, Noah, what are you doing? I'm building a box. That's stupid. Why? Because there's going to be a storm. What's a storm? It's like rain's going to come from the sky. Water comes from the sky? That's dumb. Yeah, I have to because God's going to flood the earth. And because God is righteous, you should really repent of your sin and turn to him. That's dumb. Noah, look around. You're wasting your life. And it took Noah a century, over a century, to build the ark. So think about this. He was in his, imagine a century, a hundred years of building this thing. Every single day waking up every single day all right all right fam uh we got to go get some more gopher wood we're going to work on the first part of the ark we're going to set the foundation it's going to take us about 25 years uh so and then you know yeah wife and the others you guys worry about the pitch well and then we they didn't have a home depot you can't just go to a lumber store you got to cut down the tree. You got to, I mean, you got to prep it all up. Guys, this was a massive, massive undertaking for the ark. Like this, you want to talk about feeling overwhelmed? And then on top of that, the whole world's trying to stop you from doing this thing. And they're making fun of you. And they're coming after you. And they're coming after your family. And God is covering Noah because Noah walked with the Lord. And why did, cover, why did God cover Noah? Because God made a covenant with Noah. And when God makes a covenant about something, it does not break. And I really want us to understand this. God's going to make a covenant. We're going to see later on in the story the covenant that God made with the world that he would never flood the world again because of Noah. So when you enter into a covenant with God, it's not, and this is what I want us to, just a sidebar here. When you enter into a covenant with God, that covenant doesn't just seal you, but it also impacts your family. Like this is something that should so, should so encourage you. Your family's impacted. It's kind of like Stephen talked about in his welcoming. How it wasn't just him, but like his wife, his kids, like his family as well. When you make a covenant with God and God walks into a covenant with you, it covers your whole entire family, and it also covers generations of your family. And I always have people argue with me, and they're like, man, Ricky, I did the whole church thing, and my kids are just as terrible. I did it all. 
I did the church thing. I went to Sunday school. I went to VBS. I did everything. And yet there's no change in my family's life. And in my mind, I'm thinking, listen, you didn't make a covenant with God. You made a covenant with your church. You made a covenant with your church, your Sunday school teacher, your pastor. You made a covenant with everybody else except the Savior of the world. Because when you make a covenant with God, your life looks like Noah's. Righteous because you're covered by grace. Blameless because you pursue holiness and righteousness and you are constantly walking with the Lord. That means that we have his word. We're totally in prayer. We are consumed by a life of wanting to know Jesus. That is what it looks like to have a covenant with God. Not you coming to church and then living some ways totally different outside of the church walls. So kids grow up because parents, you bring your kids to church so much, but yet you're getting wasted in front of them. And you're fighting and you're arguing and, there's, and you're picking things outside of the will of God. No wonder your kids grow up hating church because there's a confusion there. It doesn't work. You see, so when you enter into a covenant with God and you're truly seeking him and you're truly living this thing out, God makes a covenant with you. He's like, I'm not just going to cover you, but I'm going to cover your kids and I'm going to cover their kids and I'm going to cover their kids. Generation to generation to generation to generation. It's a wonderful thing. And God makes that with Noah. And then look at verse 19 and 20. It says, you are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. Verse 21, you are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. So this is where it gets a little interesting, because Noah was not a Dr. Doolittle. You know, like he wasn't a professional, like he knew what to say to animals. What God said is, is that every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you. So as you build this thing, I'm going to provide for you everything that is needed. I'm going to send you these animals. Now, here's what's wild. The ark's capacity because this is something I, I think that needs to be, for us to get a scope of this thing. The capacity of the ark could fit over 520 railroad carts. It could hold 125,000 lambs. This thing was massive. And even with all the animals in there, they said like the animals only took about 60% of the space in the ark. The other space was used for their families and food, because remember, Y'all are going to see next week. They're going to be on the ark for over a year. 365 days on this thing in the water. It's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. They need to sustain it. So God starts sending. So we think of animals like elephants and, and hippopotamus, these big animals. What they're saying is that God probably sent kind of a younger version of those animals. So that way it, they could sustain themselves. And then when the flood waters receded, they're able to populate the earth again. Massive, massive undertaking. There's over a million species of insects that there was ample room for, as well as food for a year for everyone. 
So think about every single kind of animal, insect, mosquito, roach. Even the roaches made it, right? Crazy. Think of, yeah, they always make it, right? <laughs> there was no light on the ark, that's why. Is it? Like, just think of every sort of animal, man. They all got on the ark. They all made it. And it's because God said they were going to come to him. And Noah did. And this is the, the verse that blows my mind. Look at verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And, you know, when I look at this story and I look at the magnitude of this ark and, I, and everything that God told Noah to do, the verse that blows my mind out of this whole thing is verse 22. Because it says that Noah did everything God had commanded him to do. Can you imagine that? As God is telling you, he's, he's, he's giving you what to do. And he's like, Noah's like, okay, God, you're righteous, I'm not. I'm going to follow you. However long this thing takes, I'm going to do it. No matter what the world looks like around me, I'm going to do it. It blows my mind. Like, I see this thing in like a, as a movie. As Noah's building this thing, a little bit at a time, it takes him over 100 years. Because that's exactly, so it just, it, it rocked me because, man, what type of obedience must you have to do something this crazy? And I started thinking, like, man, I, I want to be like that. I want God to, like, give me the crazy stuff. And then I look at God, like, all right, Lord, I have no idea how I'm going to do it, but you're in this thing, so let's go. Like, I pray for faith like that. I pray for like that, that type of boldness to be like, yes, I'm all in. So I, just for the last couple of minutes, like, man, I just want to talk about obedience real fast, if that's all right. Because when it comes to things that God gives us to do, obedience is key. Noah walked with God. He was a righteous man. He was blameless. And because he walked with God, he trusted God. And because he trusted God, God gave him a way out. So look at number one. So I want us to understand something. Anything other than complete obedience is disobedience in the eyes of the Lord. There's no such thing as partial obedience because we do this all the time. Like I was thinking about our culture and I think our culture, even our Christian culture, we view obedience in two lights. We look at obedience as conditional or partial. We look at obedience as either it's conditional or partial. What is partial obedience? Partial obedience is like, hey, I showed up. I'm here, aren't I? I'm in the room. I came to work. You didn't do anything. But I showed up. We have, we have this partiality in us where we have this mindset is, if I could just do enough to get by. You gave me a box to check. I checked the box. Now leave me alone. And our culture celebrates this. We remember we went through that whole like silent quitting thing and all that. Like everybody's like, yeah, don't do any more hard work. You're worth more. But it's like, no, that's not how God works, though. When God gives us something to do, there's no like partiality. Like I just showed up. No, like you are either all in or you're all out. 
So partial obedience is disobedience, but also conditional obedience is also disobedience as well. Because a lot of us say yes to God if. There's a little asterisk by our yeses. So God, I will be obedient to you, and I'm going to do this, but I got to make sure my schedule lines first. Let me make sure, you know, like my weekend's clear. Let me make sure I have nothing else going on. Let me make sure my plans are good. Make sure my comforts are good. You know, like as long as my kids don't have like a game that Saturday or Sunday morning, then I'll, I'll, I might go and do it. Like that is partial obedience. That's conditional. And what God is looking for, he's looking for men and women to say, I'm all in. I am all in this thing. God, if I have to stop things, if I have to pull my kids out of things, God, if I have to change my schedule, if I have to like do things differently, adjust my budget, whatever it takes, God, I am all in. I'm doing this thing. So I'm all in. I know I had somebody tell me, they're like, man, Ricky, as long as I'm here, I'm all in. Use me. And I was like, well, then you're not here. Because the first time a dollar pops up, you're gone. See, somebody's all in. It's like, no, nah, I'm committing to this. I'm, I'm building this thing with you. That, that's a commitment. That, that's obedience right there. So with God, it's, you're either completely obedient or you're disobedient. There's no in between. And that's kind of hard for us to understand. Because also, whenever we think about when God calls us to, there's three things that we feel. Because when, some of us are like, okay, Rick, you're talking about obedience, but how do I know that God's calling me to do something? Well, looking at Noah and what God has called him to do, there's three things. Number one, it's going to seem impossible. God's never going to call you to do something that you can do on your own. Because then that means you have no need for him. So when I hear people like, yeah, God called me to do this, I completed it, man, it was so easy, it was great, I was just faithful. No, like, you should be freaking out. You should be like, how in the world is this going to work? Like, Lord, what are you doing? Because God's going to call you to do something that you're going to need his help with. God could have easily told Noah just to save him and his family. Eight people, done with. Build an ark for eight people, easy. But no, he's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the whole world. I'm going to give you creation too. So it needs to be 150 yards, not 50 yards. It's going to take you 100 years, not just 25. It's a constant, constant thing. So when God calls you to something, it, it is going to seem impossible. You are going to feel overwhelmed. And it's going to look crazy to the outside world. You're going to feel so overwhelmed. Like, oh, this thing is so, like, how am I going to do this? Like, how does this even work? And then the world's going to look at you and be like, why? That's dumb. Why would you do that? And then they're going to start throwing all of their details, all of their shoulda, woulda, coulda's. You should do this. You should do this. And you're like, I got to stay faithful to what God's called me to. Noah has that. An example is when we went, you know, I start thinking about like examples in my life. And it's like, seems impossible so, Ricky, I want you to go to the other side of the world to pour into kids that are HIV positive in a small place called Mizoram. That's crazy. That seems impossible. You know what's even more overwhelming? You've got to raise the money. It's going to be like $3,500. 
Like, how am I going to make $3,500? You know my bills? You know my, the spending habits of my wife, Lord? Like, <laughs> like, ah, man. Like, you know, the saving. How am I going to do this? How am I going to raise this money? How far? How far is this place? One more flight? <laughs> I haven't slept in two days. I can't feel my face. And then the outside world is going to tell you, man, that's so, why, why don't you just send them the money? Why go all the way over there when you have stuff here to do? And I was like, you're right. But God didn't tell me to do that here. He told me to go over there and do it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say yes to the Lord, even though it seems impossible, even though I feel overwhelmed, and even though the outside world tells me otherwise, I'm doing it. And you can come or not, but I'm going. You see, that's the adage. That's the obedience that's needed right there. And I think for some of us, it's, it's easy to be obedient because we've seen God do it over and over and over again. I trust him. I know what it's like. So he's going to give you something to do, but you're either all in or you're all out. And you have to make that decision. Number two is that faith requires execution. Faith requires execution. I love this because as God is telling Noah and he's piecing all of this together, there's two things that Noah had to do. He had to execute on the task, but he also had to put his earthly self, he had to execute his earthly self. You see, if you're going to follow God in all obedience and you're going to trust him, you have got to put your flesh to death. That includes your pride. That includes everything that you think you know. That includes your future plans. You're like, I am following Jesus no matter what it is, God. I am putting myself to death, and now I want you to live through me and forward. And then God's like, great. And as Noah began to start hearing the plans, I believe that his faith continued to grow as he was getting to work. Your faith get stronger as you do, not as you learn. And so many was like, man, if I just attain knowledge and if I just listen to things, that's great. That's one step. But God requires you to put your hand to the plow and get moving. And I believe as, as Noah is, is working on this ark and he's taking plank after plank or wood after wood or tree after tree and he's nailing this thing down and as he is, putting it on the ark, and he's nailing it down. God is not only building his faith. God is also building his legacy because of his faith. It's not just about building an ark. It's not just about one thing. God is also working on Noah and his family because of the covenant that they entered together. So now Noah's faith is growing, knowing that God is going to protect him from the outside world. How else do you think you're able to maintain this type of, of work for a century in this environment. Because when we talk about culture, we also celebrate a culture that is okay with quitting. We don't mind quitting. We celebrate quitting. We quit at everything because it's too hard. Think about the times that we have quit because things get too difficult. We quit teams because workouts were too hard. We quit school 
because the test was too hard. We quit being a husband. We quit being a father. We quit our church. We quit our faith. We quit our job. We quit relationships. We quit marriages because it's too hard. And we live in a society that applauds you quitting, saying, yeah, it's okay as long as you're good. And what I'm thinking is like, no, like you should stick it out. We need some toughness in our lives. You know, somebody once asked me, I was on a panel, and they're like, man, Ricky, like when you think of this next generation of, of, of pastors or leaders, what are, the two, what are some things that worry you? And the two things that popped in my, my mind were biblical illiteracy. Like I'm worried that people are not going to teach the Bible well. But also like a tenacity, like a grind, like a, like, a, like a gospel grittiness. So many people quit because things don't go their way. Things are hard. Things go wrong. And you just wipe your hands to us like, man, we need a toughness. So instead of excuses, we need execution. So don't come up with excuses like, Lord, I can't do it. Like, I don't know how. I don't have the words. I don't have the education. I don't have the time. No, just start executing. Just start working. Just start doing it, and God is going to honor that. And as you build what God has given you to do, your faith is also going to build as well. And he's also going to build your strength. And he's also going to build your needs. And he's also going to build everything that ties to that. Man, there's a saying I love. It says, excuses are monuments of nothingness that build bridges to nowhere. You can give all the excuses you want, but it doesn't take you anywhere. It just makes yourself feel better. So we need to have this tenacity. We need to have a toughness when it comes to the things of the Lord, because if not, then we're just going to give up. We're just going to quit. Noah had that toughness. He had that tenacity. He had what was needed to complete this massive task. And then the last thing, and we'll end with this, is that God's outcomes are always greater than our outputs. So even though the things that God is asking you to do may seem difficult, it may seem hard, it may seem like something that is, is going to overwhelm you and you don't know what it's going to be like and all these things, what you need to understand is that what comes out of your faithfulness to doing what God has called you to is way bigger than anything that you could ever imagine. You don't know the outcomes. Noah had no idea that this was pointing to a mass, that this was pointing to a savior. He had no idea that through his lineage, the savior of the world was going to make it through. He had no idea that Jesus one day was going to address Noah and talk about what Noah did. So that way he could compare himself to God's wrath on the world and how he was going to save it one day. Noah had no idea that he was going to show up in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith. And people were going to talk about his name for centuries and centuries and centuries to come. You have no idea God's outcomes. So if you focus on your output and how difficult and how hard it is, you're going to miss it. But... All this ties back to verse 9. Because Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless amongst the people. And he walked with the Lord. And listen, when you are covered with God's grace, when you seek righteousness and holiness, 
and with when you walk every single day with God, it's going to seem overwhelming to you. But after having a discussion with my father, after I as as I give my anxiety to him, and I and I just man, it, it becomes better and better, easier and easier. And there's something about doing hard things that is so satisfying. Like I got through it. I look at all the things in my life that I've done. Were they easy? Absolutely not. Have I failed? A lot. But I sure didn't quit though. Because God, I know that God's with me and I know he'll keep doing it over and over again. God said it. God told him what to do. And Noah's response was, yes, whatever you need me to do, I'm going to do it. And my prayer this morning for you guys, and even for myself, is every time God sends something for me to do, I don't question it. I don't cry about it. I don't try to find a way out. I stay faithful to this calling, even if it means I need to adjust my life to him. I'm going to do it, period. It's the answer. Because I also know the outcome. And the outcome is kingdom. The outcome is my savior. And the outcome is more people knowing who he is and more people coming to the feet of the cross. That's the greatest outcome. Noah did this for over 100 years. He started with eight people, and he ate it with some eight people and maybe a few more animals. His ark didn't grow in people because that's not what God called him to do. But his faith grew and his legacy grew. So I just want to encourage us to be open to the calling of God. Don't quit. Stick it out. No excuses. But that only comes when you walk with him, and you're going to be able to surpass it. So, Father, I love you. Thank you so much for um, all that you've done in our lives. Lord, it's, it's an amazing story, Father, of what you told Noah to build and what you told Noah to do. And, Lord, as, as I study this and I see it, there's so many scenarios in my mind of how I would have handled it, Father. And, Lord, I pray for that same boldness, that same obedience, that same grit Noah had, Father. That no matter how long it takes, no matter how hard it is, that I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to just keep grinding it out, Father, until you tell me. So, Lord, help us to see your outcomes and not focus on the output of this. Lord, help us to be obedient no matter what it takes. And, Lord, help us to to not be so fearful that we forget to execute. Lord, replace our excuses with execution, Father. So God, I pray all these things in your holy and righteous name. Amen. Let's worship together.